Welcome to episode number five. In this episode, we are talking to Ryan Condi, who is currently on the full-time search to acquire a business after just exiting a business recently. He has a podcast called Let's Buy a Business, where he talks about the process of becoming an entrepreneur through acquisition instead of starting something from scratch, the conventional way that people do it. And so we go over sourcing, the way to outreach, the way that he thinks about buying businesses, and what it will look like in a post-corona world in the acquisition of small businesses. So hopefully you enjoy it. Boom. Okay, we're live. I got Ryan Condi here joining us from the beautiful state of Utah. How's it going, man? It's going awesome. Thanks for having me. Um, so I've, I've been watching your stuff for a while. Uh, you have a podcast that you're doing, Let's Buy a Business podcast, where you kind of go through everything soup to nuts of your process that you're going through right now full time on looking for businesses, um, scouting businesses, investors, lawyers, all that stuff in terms of going through the business acquisition process, um, which is something that has be- become nearer and dearer to my heart as I go through selling a business and trying to figure out what's next for me. So how did you, how did you kind of come to the idea of uh, acquiring, being an entrepreneur through acquiring businesses as opposed to the common narrative of like start in a garage and like work for five years, get venture capital, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah, go down that route. Yeah, so I've done both, right? I wouldn't say I started one path or the other. I actually took a course in college many years ago, 12 years ago that um, taught you how to buy companies. And it was actually taught by a VC, is two people and from a local VC company and just like a local VC fund. And uh, it was the only thing I learned in college. Everything else was kind of garbage, but um, they taught me how to buy companies. And so I kind of did the whole corporate route. I did enterprise software sales for a bunch of different tech companies. But in the meantime, I always had different side projects. I was starting companies, doing all sorts of things. And the very first time I I bought a website was I'd been using uh, this guy's wallets for years. He would take old polyester ties, Raleigh, and then he would actually turn them into wallets. Super cool business. Um, And I loved his products and I was looking went to his site and he didn't have any products on there and I thought hey I'm gonna try to buy this guy so I reached out to him he told me he wasn't for sale I just kept calling him every two weeks for like three months and we became (laughs) buddies and I'm telling my ideas and all these you know we just became friends and after three months like literally out of the blue he called me up and said hey man I'm ready to sell and I'm like cool well let's do this thing so um that was kind of my first foray into like buying a company and it was a super small purchase uh, I ended up growing that thing about 4X in the first year and then just kind of sat on it, just wrote off a bunch of stuff. I learned a ton about e-commerce, was able to keep growing it. And then a few years later, I sold it. And um, that was like my first realization that rather than trying to learn how to sew or create a product or find manufacturing from, from Shenzhen or wherever you're working with, um, I could buy something that had customers, it had profit, and it had an awesome product. And I didn't have to go through all that. And it would take me years to figure all that stuff out where in reality, I was able to structure a really cool equity deal, come in, blow this business up, do make a ton of mistakes on it. This is 2011, 2012, made a ton of mistakes on it. It was really before Shopify picked up and it was a little bit easier to create sites now or now than it was then. Uh, but that was kind of my first time. So I've done it a couple different times. I've built businesses from scratch, everything from e-commerce brands to I, I started a candy factory from scratch. We did wholesale chocolates and fudge. And it's actually, you can find them now in Sam's Club and Walgreens. So I've done 
a little bit of everything, but I probably started like eight companies and really only two of them lasted longer than like a weekend and actually made money and weren't big right. write-offs. So um, since I've done this a few different times and the transactions have gotten bigger and bigger, a few months ago, I thought, hey, I'm just going to document this whole process and tell everybody what I'm doing. So Raleigh, I don't have like an MBA or anything like that. I've just self-taught a lot of YouTube videos, talking to people who do deals. I'm constantly just trying to learn more and then just share that knowledge. And so yeah. to me, in reality, you hear the stat that like 96% of businesses fail in the first few years. Um, and that's, that's exactly right. But there, I've also heard the opposite stat where about 90% of acquisitions are still in business in five years. Yeah. Kind of the Lindy effect. Like if a company's been around for five years, they're probably going to be around for another five years. Or if it's right. been around for 20 years, there's a pretty good chance that company's going to be around for 20 years. So I actually think acquisition, um, like entrepreneurship through acquisition is like a bet. You cut out for a second. You, like you want to be your own boss. You want to run your own company. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I don't know what's up with the audio. Um, I just would say, I think the uh, acquisition uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition is actually a better path for most people, especially Raleigh, if they're making a switch from like corporate America and want to be their own boss. Right. How do you think about, how do you think about now? Oh, I have two questions. How, how was that first deal structured? Was it just the cash or you try to do seller financing? Um, yeah. What was the, so the very, the very first deal wasn't very big. So my second deal was a lot bigger and I did it. Um, I had a company in the space and I acquired a competitor and I did it through the cash flows of my current business paired up with an SBA loan. Um, that's a common seven to 10 year terms. Still there. Did I lose you? Dang, man. I don't know what's up. Do I need to... <laughs> No, that was, that was good. So I heard, I heard seven to 10 year terms on the SBA loan. Um, okay. Yeah. That's a really common way of going about it. And, and Raleigh with that, you're just going to do like the interest rate is prime plus a couple percentage points. Right. So the other way I did it is I did an equity deal where he was ready to get out. So I think there's, there's two types of companies that are kind of distressed um, that are interesting to buy. One is a distressed company and one is a distressed seller. In my case, I actually found a distressed seller. A distressed company is, is a company that's going out of business. That's right. a big turnaround project. People have the appetite and the skills up for that rally, and some people don't. When yeah. it comes to like a distressed seller, it's they're bored of their company, or they went through a divorce, or they want to retire, or whatever it might be. Those are great businesses to buy, because that first deal I structured where um, I basically took over the business, had a cash injection into the business to kind of get some life back into it, and he was able to retain about 25% of the company so that if I ever sold it down the road, he would get a nice payday. And, you know, yeah. of course, a few years later, he got a really nice payday. And his payday at 25% was significantly more than he would have ever got had he just sold it to me outright at the beginning. So, yeah. but, and at the same time, I didn't have to really put any money down to, to buy that company. Yeah, I think, I think that's super interesting because you also... You, there's like a frequency that people go through as an entrepreneur. Like I go through periods where I'm totally stoked about my business and I wouldn't sell it for a hundred million dollars. And then it can be three months later where I'm like, 
I will take 10 grand. <laughs> I don't have to touch this thing ever again. And I don't think people realize that if you can find a way, I think the trick is finding a way that you can uh, kind of ingratiate yourself with uh, entrepreneurs who are running businesses that you would be potentially interested in, in acquiring. And if you can find a way to not be annoying to them, not be a, uh, a spur in their saddle for long enough, you'll probably go through that frequency with them. And if you can be kind of top of mind uh, when they go through a, I will let this business go for $10,000 and you're there, like you can, you can get involved uh, a lot easier than you probably think that you can. I would have complete, completely agree. So I, there's so many ways to approach it. And the biggest thing you can do is build rapport with an owner, whether it's for sale or not, you know, they're going to want to trust you better if you're friends. People like doing business with friends. That's why it's, they say like business deals are done over golf. They just want to hang out and be buddies. And so not that you have to go golfing with them, but it's that same mindset. If you're building rapport with that particular owner, you have a much better leg in. And, and so there's, there's a million ways to structure deals. And so a lot of it's coming down to what your personal preferences are, your, how much capital you can deploy or whether you have investors or what's your appetite. And if you're able to find an owner who is actually really ready, ready to get out because of uh, not, not because they're just looking for a huge payday, but for other reasons. Um, and it could be just health. It could be life circumstances. And a lot of times you're not trying to take advantage of anybody. You're still paying them the value of the business, but you could be doing it over time as like a seller finance deal. Right. So you can use the cash flows from the business to, to pay for that business over time. Or, you know, you're basically coming in, stepping in to save that business, save its customers, its products, and of course, save their employees and the jobs. So there's yeah. a lot of ways to structure deals. Um, you know, I don't know when people are going to listen to this, Raleigh, but it's, you know, the last day in April of 2020, people will look back and say, hey, COVID-19, this is a really weird time. For the last several years, it's been a big seller's market. It's been a really good time to sell. I think over the next few months and the next few years, it'll actually switch from a buyer or seller's market to a buyer's market. And every market does this, whether it's real estate or whether, you know, whatever it is, it's always going to switch from a buyer to a seller market. And in this case, I think it's actually switching over to a buyer's market um, over the next couple of years. I could be totally wrong on that, but I think there's going to be a lot of people who want to retire, who want to move on, take that next step. Whereas someone who's really looking to own a business, but not necessarily want to start from scratch or have that idea or whatever, they can step into a great business structure, a great path to take over this business. And you don't necessarily need to have millions of dollars to do that. Yeah. What do you think? I, I completely agree with you again, as a, as a seller and a buyer playing both sides of the market. I think that there are a lot of, there are a lot of, there will be a lot of, zombie companies where sellers were planning on getting another two or three years of cash flow. And uh, as that cash flow goes to zero for the, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, kind of deferred expenses and businesses that owners were planning on kind of kicking the can down the road and coronavirus has kind of forced pressure on marketing systems, CapEx systems, operational systems, and to relaunch everything. There's this, in a lot of businesses, I think there's going to be a kind of Herculean effort to kind of bring everything up to speed. And I think a lot of owners will look at that Herculean effort to get back to where they were and just say, I mean, like a sales, like not a horrible idea. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the time was so good for the last decade that I think 
everybody was like, hey, this is going to last forever. So many business owners probably should have sold a couple years ago, but the times were too good. And I think two things will happen. Either the, you know, I guess three, the business goes out of business and that's a really cheap business to buy. Or the business makes it through this whole COVID-19, 2020 kind of weird thing in the market. That's going to show that business is very resilient. That's a great business to buy and it's going to be able to get through a lot of tough times. And then that third option is, I think the business that makes through it and then the owner is like, exactly what you said, I'm out. I want to be done. I want to retire. I want to move on. And I think they're going to be much more willing to have like a seller financed deal where they're taking a, a, a where they're carrying that seller note longer um, or whatever it might be. But I think a lot of people are going to be like, Hey, I don't have the chops or the, the really willpower to go through this grind again to right. get it back to what it was. And they're going to want out. Yeah. What do you think about, um, how do you think about, um, minority interest deals relative to, uh, to just buy the business, let me take this over versus more of a, let me stay in my lane and kind of do, you know, if you have a marketing background or something, yeah. add and taking a, a piece that way. So that's a really interesting structure. I think it works well for a lot of people. If the business is lacking what your skill set can add to it, then I think that's good. Like, like in that example, like if you have an operator who's really good at operating, but you don't have like the marketing chops, that operator doesn't have the marketing chops. Well, they would actually be better pairing up with someone who does have the marketing chops. Or if someone is really good at marketing and not good at operations, they're, they're better off pairing with someone who can do the operational side. Now it's, it's tricky to say, you know, minority ownership is good or bad or whatever it might be. I think it's just depends on, the deal structure and the working relationship. Is it a silent partner? Are you going to be more hands-on or you taking over 25% of the company? Does that also entail that you're going to run all the Google ads, Facebook right. ads, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I think in the right structure, they can be great. I actually have seen a lot of those deals. Keep in mind, it's, it's a marriage, it's a partnership. And it, ultimately you invest in an idea, but it does lead back to your investing in a person. And so yeah. when I, I'm not like a, like a venture back or a venture capitalist or, or even worked at a VC fund or anything, but a lot of times they're investing in the people knowing that that person will eventually find success, whether it's that idea or the pivot that they make. So keep kind of keep that in mind as you get a minority share. I think those are great ways to take over, especially if you can add something of value to that company that isn't necessarily tied to the monetary side. So I think there's deals what you could do Raleigh where um, if that business is lacking your skill set, you can do an equity piece and you're just applying what your skill set already is. Yeah. So I, I love those deals. I think those are great deals. Um, but keep in mind, you're, you're going to be working with someone. So you want to get to know them really well. And you know, what, what, what happens when there's a little bit extra or someone wants to throw their right. car payment under the business, like you, yeah. you, you can get really weird sometimes. Yeah. So. How do you think about um, if I'm, if I'm in a day job that probably doesn't love the idea of me moonlighting as a self-funded venture capitalist, how do you think about outreach, kind of doing outreach outside of, you know, you can always go to a business broker and that's kind of the white glove service, I guess. But um, how do you think about kind of trying to get to the, I guess, yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and I've actually done this too when I, when I had a, a corporate day job and it's, it is going to be tricky because you're going to find your time really, really, really limited. Right. So 
the biggest thing, if you've got a job, it's kind of the best time to get an SBA loan. It's the right. best time to look for a business because you've kind of got your bases covered. At the same time, you're going to be focused on so many different things. It's really easy to, to learn, to waste a lot of time or never find a business to buy. Um, the biggest thing you, you probably, you know, unless you've got like the best employer on earth, you probably don't want to tell your employer that you're looking to buy a company. And yeah. even like if you're doing a lot of online businesses, even like most online businesses that are sub a million in revenue, they, they probably don't have any employees or they just have like a couple of freelancers and you can actually run that business with your day job. Like you might be getting up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. on Sundays to do some stuff or you're working Saturdays and Sundays on your side business. But, it, you know, that's just how it is if you want to have a side business and, and kind of take it to the next level. I think that's actually a good option. And doing deals while you have a job is phenomenal because you, you're, you've got your baseline covered. Um, about 90, I, I keep saying the word 90, but this is, these are actually pretty real stats here, Raleigh. About 90% of all searchers never find a company to buy. Yeah. And so it's really hard to find a company to buy that fits your skill sets and your capital requirements, industries or locations that you want to be in. So the way to prolong that is, you know, most, so like there's, there's a form of searching that's like a professional searcher or they set up a search fund where people pay for them to go find companies to buy. They typically last about two years. Most of those search funds end at two years with never finding a company and that person just goes and gets a job. So <laughs> that's definitely what you don't want to do. So having a job to kind of cover your baseline, whether you're doing it through an exit like you, I actually exited an e-commerce company a few months back. Uh, in early 2020. And that's when I went full time in it because I knew I had a long time. I had a, a long runway with the ability to then invest in a company that I wanted to buy. So yes. I think it's great to do it. You just got to be super disciplined. Um, the other thing is in the experience that I've seen, if you're looking for a company to buy, you shouldn't be laying in bed and scrolling through like biz by sell or whatever, because it's like you're on Instagram. That's like a horrible way to go about it. You're going to lose a lot of time and effort. Keep it structured. If you want to look for a company and you have limited time or you have a day job or, or kids or whatever, you should focus on like 30 minutes. Your first thing you do right when you get up, go look at, go check these sites, make sure it's, a, you know, you're looking at these companies and then, you know, treat it like a real job because anytime you're just scrolling through like, like it's an Instagram feed, you're just going to waste a ton of time and you're going to fill your head with a bunch of garbage because you're going to be looking at like an online business to like the local tow truck company. And you really right. need to be focused when you're looking at companies to buy. What are, what are some of those sites that you would recommend um, yeah. that are worth looking at? And I guess the part of the other question in terms of how you go about doing it when you kind of have to keep it where you can't, you know, like you're, you're going about it a very, uh, public way kind of saying I'm looking for you you've been able I assume to build a little bit of deal flow from an insourcing instead of just always going out and searching um and uh yeah, yeah. sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah so um can you hear me is that my yeah. internet yeah, you're good. okay so it's like the death of zoom calls or here we go death by <laughs> zoom calls so so um yeah, there's a lot of ways to approach it. Some good websites to answer the first part of the question are like quietlightbrokerage.com. Yep. Um, another good one is FE International. F as in Frank, E as in Empire, FE International. These are mainly for online businesses. You know, bizbysell.com is a common one. If you just search for 
like if you're in Charlotte, you just search for, you know, local Charlotte business brokers. Or if you're in Miami, you do the same thing and you'll have local businesses pop up. Um, I don't know why, but about 90% of brokers that I meet are, are pretty crummy. So you do yeah. will, you, you will need to generate your own deal flow. And most of the deals that I see done and the deals you want to hear about and the deals you want to do a lot of times, um, not broker deals, but it's just kind of self outreach. And so the, the biggest downside of not having, like if you can't tell your employer and you can't put it on your LinkedIn profile and tell, tell everybody, you know, on Facebook, you're looking for a company to buy is that people don't know. And so what I have found is the more I talk about it, the more deals come my way. And, and most of them haven't been good fits for me or just right. haven't been good businesses or good, good fits for me. But then you find those two or three that, you know, they've never talked to a broker. You've got some great conversations. Those are really where you can de develop a cool relationship with the seller. So um, those are some good resources, but at the same time, you will need to create your own deal flow and you'll kind of, based on your own circumstances, you'll need to figure out how to do that. Whether you can be super public about it or whether you're kind of just telling friends and family and, and people you know that are kind of con the connectors or just people that are well-networked that you're looking for businesses to buy, that's probably the way to go about it. If you're, if you're worried about telling your employer, probably wouldn't recommend it then. That's, that's yeah. the right answer to not tell your employer. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it will be the hardest thing to create that own deal flow. Yeah. And one thing that I've, one thing that I found has worked really well is I reach out to business development associates at private equity firms that deal in the spaces that I'm interested in. I only did this because I have some buddies that are in acquisitions at big PE funds. And so, you know, a PE funds get a lot of inflow. If you're a big PE fund, you get all these little businesses that try to apply and say they want to get bought for 10x. And so I have, I have, I've just barely started to do this. And I've had a little bit of success where I have my business development associates send me the companies that are just way too small for private equity to get interested in. And um, so I've gotten 10 or 15 just company, they just give me the company name. And then I kind of um, try to find them on LinkedIn. And I've had a couple calls that have, from there. that have been okay. Hey, that's brilliant, man. I'm totally stealing that. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely stealing that. It's, it's actually been like a little, like a secret that I found like in the past couple of weeks, but I think it's actually been like super helpful because it's not out there. It's not super public. Hey, we'll make it, we'll make a public pact. You take everything uh, east of the Mississippi, yeah. all the <laughs> west of the Mississippi. I need south, I need south. I need Texas, <laughs> Texas, Arizona. All right, Texas, man. I, said, yeah. <laughs> I know you gotta hop off, so. but um, I appreciate the time. I think if you're interested in it, um, uh, let's buy a business podcast by Ryan Condi. It's super clutch in terms of going step by step. He, he's taken everybody kind of from the very beginning. Um, so I know you got this this call. You gotta hop to, but we'll catch up soon. I appreciate the time and uh, good luck on the continued search. Hey, thanks, Riley. We'll talk to you right. soon. How are we going? Bye. Thank you.